Friends, would you pray with me? God of Jesus Christ, give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work and in us. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dave. In just a moment, um, some slides are going to appear on the screen this morning that will help to um, guide us through our text on new life in Christ from Colossians 3, 1 to 17. So before we hear God's word from Colossians 3, let's take a moment to orient ourselves. All right. Jesus' ministry took place here, I'll do it again, here, in and around Judea, while the city of Colossae was located right there in southwest Phrygia in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. At the time, it was one of the six largest cities in Phrygia because of its location along a trade route running from Ephesus in the west to the Euphrates River in the east. On this particular map, we can also see Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, to whom Ephesus, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians were written. As you can see from this map, the word of God was spreading from where Jesus' ministry was centralized to these other places. Certainly, this was developed through Paul's missionary journeys, but also through the efforts of several young Christian leaders. We know from the letter to the Colossians that a Gentile congregation was established in Colossae at that red arrow by a minister named Epaphras. Epaphras was struggling to lead believers in a conversation about what it meant to have new life in Christ post-resurrection. Epaphras and his community were asking important questions for the very first time. Assuming that the resurrection of Jesus should have a fundamental impact on our lives, what does that impact look like? What are the implications of Christ's victory over the grave? And when do we experience those implications? Does it happen right now, or after we die, or when Christ returns? And do those implications look the same for everyone? The believers in Colossae, alongside Paul, Epaphras, and other early church leaders, asked these questions after the world's first Easter, and we've been doing the same ever since. As we come to our text this morning, we are listening in to some early ideas about what it means to live in the paradoxical reality of the resurrection where on the one hand, we have been delivered from darkness and death and transferred to the kingdom of God through Christ, and on the other hand, we remain vulnerable to sin and suffering. Where on the one hand, all we have to do is accept with gratitude what Christ has done for us, and on the other hand, we have to do good 
because we're called to do so. This is a reality where we simultaneously put on the new self given through Christ while shedding the desires of the old. New life in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. What does that mean? Let's wonder about that alongside the believers in Colossae. Would you turn with me to the word of the Lord from Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ fundamentally altered the reality of the universe. In Scripture, the Gospels narrate Jesus' ministry and death from the vantage point of the resurrection The Acts of the Apostles trace the movement of the Spirit as early believers struggled to come to terms with the significance of the resurrection in their life and work. And the letters of the New Testament, including Colossians, these are saturated with reflections on Christ's victory over death. And ultimately, Revelation encouraged believers to remain steadfast and full of hope because Christ is ultimately reigning. The New Testament assumes the resurrection is real and requires an immediate, recurring, faithful 
response from the community of believers. Colossians speaks explicitly about the resurrection, boldly claiming that we have already participated in it. This idea that we already participate in Christ's resurrection is unique to Colossians. In other places, we will participate in Christ's resurrection, like in Romans 6. But in Colossians, we already participate in Christ's resurrection. If that's the case, that we already participate in Christ's resurrection, then the implications of the resurrection are far beyond rising from the dead or going to heaven after we die. And that is the energy behind our text this morning. Colossians 3, 1 to 17, uses Christian metaphors and phrases back to back to back to back, so it's easy to gloss over it when you read it. So if it feels like Colossians 3, 1 through 17 went over your head, uh, let's review the flow of the passage together. The first four verses are both an introduction to this particular selection, and they're a summary of what's been said already. We know this because it begins with, so if, which means what happened right before this passage informs our understanding of this one. We'll get there in a moment, but in these first four verses, we read that we have been raised with Christ, and therefore we seek things that are above with all our hearts and minds. In verses 5 to 11, we're given 10 examples of what we should rid ourselves of in response to being raised with Christ. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. We learn that it doesn't matter if we're Gentile or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians. Scythians were an ancient nomadic people who were viewed as the ultimate barbarian. It doesn't matter if we're slave or free because we are all in Christ. And finally, in verses 12 to 17, we're told to clothe ourselves with five things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and then to forgive those who have wronged us, and then to be completely loving, and then to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts, and then to be thankful, and then to teach and admonish with psalms, hymns, and songs, and just in case you missed it, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. If you're paying attention to it this morning, likely this text evokes one of the following responses in you. Maybe you respond with, wow, that's great. What an encouraging word for me this morning. Or, wow, there's no way I can do all of that. What is the point in trying? Both are normal, understandable responses. And both deserve an important reminder a reminder that I believe is often lost on Christians who are floundering between their worthiness in Christ and their habitual disobedience, and that reminder is this. We are all in the process of becoming what we already are. We are all in the process of becoming what we already are. I know that sounds silly, 
or cyclical, but it is the illogical logic of the resurrection. We are worthy through Christ. We are spotless, blameless, set apart for holiness, chosen and beloved of God, and wow, we forget that all the time. We make reckless, cruel, painful decisions that hurt ourselves in our community. We stay stuck in patterns of behavior and mindsets that cause destruction in us and around us. We, the community of believers, have already participated in Christ's resurrection, and therefore our response should be to set our hearts and minds on that heavenly verdict and start living like it's actually true. This was the challenge the Church of Colossae faced, choosing to believe that the resurrection had a direct impact on their lives, even though they certainly didn't know what, they, what that meant, and they were tempted to find their worthiness, to found their worthiness on works, not on Christ. Specifically, these believers were instructed by other religious leaders to worship angels and to physically harm their bodies through self-denial and self-discipline. Paul addresses these issues the chapter before in Colossians 2 in verses 16 to 223, which says this. People of Colossae, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human conditions and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So in other words, Church of Colossae, don't confuse participating in Christ's resurrection with fearfully abstaining from what you think is wrong or desperately chasing what you think is right. Resurrection hope is not meant to be an exhausting competition to the moral high ground. Resurrection hope cannot be earned because it has already been accomplished in Christ. And while it should profoundly shape our behavior, it first and foremost reorients our community to a completely different reality one founded on love, relationship, and purpose as we focus on becoming what we already are. We have been raised with Christ, so we seek the things that are above. Focusing on heavenly things does not mean becoming so fixated on spiritual matters that we accomplish nothing on earth. There are earthly things that will fade away but really matter 
people, education, jobs, politics, managing a budget. Those are the first few things that came to my mind. As citizens of the world, we can't shut down by avoiding earthly conflicts or neglecting earthly good. Rather, we seek the things that are above by engaging earthly matters from a resurrection perspective, offering compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience because Christ offered it to us. We do this by reorienting ourselves to our participation in Christ's resurrection to shape our deepest desires around love, peace, and forgiveness. Resurrection hope is not about moving toward a future, but rather an invitation to come back to a center. We don't always remember that our lives have centers, be they healthy or unhealthy centers, because we process life in a linear way, which looks something like this. The past is over and behind us. We are in the present and the future lies ahead. This is obvious to hear, of course, because that's the way it is. Past, present, future, then, now, later. There's nothing inherently wrong with that necessarily, but participating in Christ's resurrection is not simply a push to the finish line, as this linear way of thinking suggests. The path of discipleship, as we know, is not that simple, straight, or rigid. Resurrection hope is not about moving toward a future, but about coming back to a center. Of course, we anticipate the fullness of the resurrection at a later time, but more importantly, we already, we already participate in Christ's resurrection, and that must be the center of who we are and how we interact with the world. And this is best modeled, in my opinion, by the spirograph. This. This is an image of a spirograph, spirograph excuse me, flower, which looks like it has a fixed center point surrounded by symmetrical petals. If you're familiar with the spirograph, which I'm assuming most of us are, you know that it's a geometric drawing tool that produces roulette curves when the user manipulates the mechanism with a pen on paper. In this particular example, up on the screen, the pen spirals back to the center with the completion of each petal. Not all spirographs have a center. The pen starts at the center, curves out to form the petal, comes back to the center, forms the next petal, comes back to the center, and so on and so forth until the image is complete. This center is our resurrection, our resurrection status, which defines us as beloved children of God. It's the focal point of our life, established in Christ and sustained by the Spirit. It's the source of our love, the space where we are refreshed and renewed. It's Sabbath. It's the return of the prodigal son. It's the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We all move away from that center. We all come back to the center. We move away from the center. We come back to the center as individuals and as a community. But participating in Christ's resurrection means that we have access to that center right now. The invitation is to set our hearts and minds on that reality, to come back 
to compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, unity, peace, and thankfulness. Not because it's busy work to earn God's favor, but because it's a gift through which we experience God's presence. It's the process of becoming what we already are, loop after loop after loop after loop. We already have a resurrected status before God. So having participated in Christ's resurrection, let's conduct ourselves accordingly, loop after loop after loop. We who are raised to new life must wear clothing appropriate for the occasion. According to our text, we wear compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, and peace. And we practice this with everyone right now because we are all in the process of becoming what we already are. When Paul reaches the virtues and vices piece in this letter, which picks up in verse 5, there's a dramatic sense of urgency which motivates the language that he uses. So starting again in Colossians 3, 5, Paul begins with, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It's as if Paul is saying, Church of Colossae, don't forget who you are for one more moment. Quickly, the love and peace and joy of your resurrection hope is here for the taking. Why live in sin or cause pain for others when you can experience the peace of Christ in your hearts? There's enough to go around. What are you waiting for? Come back to that center. And that sense of urgency begins to slow as the spirographic rhythm calls God's people to focus their attention on becoming who they already are. Every moment, an opportunity to bring God's kingdom. Starting in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think it's worth mentioning that the Greek verb used for rule in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, has a definition that sort of surprised me. While the word does mean to decide or to determine, to direct, to control, to rule, Another available translation is to be an umpire. Be an umpire. I'll admit that my blood pressure kind of spiked when I first encountered that translation because I'm terrible at all things, sports and games, but I'm really competitive. I'm bad at picking games. I'm bad at explaining games. Just ask Riot and RCYF Youth. I'm bad at playing games. I do not like losing games. Eric beat me at Scrabble in high school. I will never play it with him ever again. 
I am bad at losing. But imagine this with me. The peace of Christ is the umpire. The peace of Christ is the umpire of our hearts. What an interesting metaphor. I'm so thankful to serve a God who made peace the empire as I navigate this complicated process of becoming what I already am in a paradoxical post-resurrection reality where I'm both righteous in Christ and prone to wander. I'm so grateful for a God who wants peace to call the shots, not fear or wrath or judgment. When I notice anxiety or uneasiness creeping into my heart, or when I'm tempted to respond in a way that belittles myself or belittles others, I love to imagine the umpire of peace calling a timeout, inviting me back to the centering truth that I am a beloved child of God whose worth is grounded in the promise of the resurrection in which I have already participated. Friends, may we truly allow God's peace to be the umpire to rule in our hearts as we continue on the path of becoming who we already are. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. And in your goodness, you offered us new life, a life that overflows with the richness of who you are. As we stand in the shadow of Easter, invite us back to the centering truth that we are deeply and immovably loved by you. May we pursue love, forgiveness, and thankfulness today. And if we're not there now, may we rely upon the community of believers to hear the longings of our hearts in compassion, patience, and grace. Give us courage to believe that the resurrection matters for us right now. In your holy name we pray.